Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. This previously recorded episode of Back from the Borderline may contain mentions of social links or initiatives I took part in that are no longer active or relevant. To follow the podcast on Instagram, connect with me directly, or support the work I'm doing, visit backfromtheborderline.com. You have entered Back from the Borderline, where we walk willingly into the darkness within our minds and return home to ourselves transformed. I'm your host, Molly. I spent most of my life numbing the pain and emptiness inside me, unaware that my self-sabotaging behaviors and thoughts were destroying my ability to connect with myself and other people. One day, I decided I was sick enough of my own bullshit to hear life calling, telling me it was time for a change, and I decided to answer that call. On this podcast, we'll learn that when we see ourselves as the hero of our own journey, it gives us the best chance at finding our inner truth and integrity. Together, We'll learn to hold complex feelings, expand our consciousness and self-awareness while making meaning of our suffering. Are you ready to find out who you are underneath the weight of everything that's been keeping you stuck? If the answer is yes, follow me down the rabbit hole of psychological and spiritual growth. I'm so glad you're here. And with that, let's dive straight in to the episode. Welcome back to From Back From The Borderline. I'm your host, Molly, and this is episode two. I'm so excited that you've come back for more because guess what we're talking about today again? Yes, it's splitting. Why are we talking about splitting again? Because I have a lot of stuff to say about splitting. There's a lot of information out there about it, and As we discussed last episode, the deeper your understanding, the more profound your awareness is. And from my perspective, that awareness is key because we can more likely catch ourselves splitting or beginning to split, beginning to split something, an idea, thing, person, and maybe stop it before it ruins our day or ruins a relationship, or ruins an opportunity. You'll start learning about me as we progress in these episodes that in the background, I am reading, I'm researching, I'm going about my life and encountering things that really inspire me and are relevant to what we're talking about. And that happened in between the last episode and this episode. So I'm reading Untamed by Glennon Doyle. We closed out the episode last time with some words from her. And I just got to a new part in the book that really resonated with me. And it 
made me think about splitting and something that we can hold in our awareness if we begin to split. I think something that I learned as I've moved forward in my recovery from BPD is the importance of integration. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but integration and BPD is really important because the lack of integration is quite often what causes us a lot of suffering. And I remember a time when I didn't even realize there were different parts of myself, right? Or if I felt like there were different parts of me, it almost made me feel like I was going crazy. But I'm here from the future to tell you that you're not going crazy if you feel like there's different parts of you that want different things. That's actually normal. Integration is the action, the phenomenon, the realization that you are not solely one of those parts. You are all of those parts. Those parts are pieces of you that bring up emotions that want to be heard and need to be heard and acknowledged. And because our symptoms of BPD can become so overwhelming and we are so overwhelmed by these huge feelings, these huge emotions, these paranoid ideas that kind of the world is out to get us and that we're a victim, we're identifying with only one part of ourself. We're alienating our higher self in those moments. And that's why we feel so lost and so empty. If we really think about it, that's what it is. And throughout my journey learning about BPD, not a lot of people go deep like that. And I think we have to go deep and understand these parts of ourselves and the idea of integration as we're learning about things like splitting. That's the only thing that helps us make real lasting change. It's like when you're going on a diet and someone could give you a diet plan and you are following exactly what they tell you to eat. But then the moment that you don't, you're no longer working with that nutritionist, for example, and you don't have their step-by-step instructions, you just lose everything. Um, but if you go to a nutritionist and you learn the reasons why you're changing these behaviors, you learn about Do you notice that I'm not a nutritionist? This is totally just an example, but to make lasting changes, you have to understand why you're doing it, right? You can't just go through the motions. We can't just go through the motions of DBT. We can't just go through the motions of a step-by-step. Here's five ways you can remove your BPD symptoms and like say, okay, I'm going to follow those steps. If you've been doing stuff like that and you are stagnant in your recovery, I have good news for you. You are not a lost cause. You just haven't internalized the deep understanding of why your symptoms are ruling your life. You are identifying completely with your BPD self, with your symptoms. That's not who you are. So to circle back on what I was talking about before, I hope I haven't lost you yet, is Glennon Doyle untamed. There's a section of the book that I came across yesterday that I was reading and she's talking about her sobriety, right? And Glennon is talking about her struggles with eating disorders, um, with really big emotions, with 
alcoholism, right? And Glennon has never said that she come out and said that she has borderline personality disorder, but reading her book, it's like a lot of the hallmark signs are there. Even if she doesn't say that she has it and she doesn't look, as I said before, I'm not a doctor, man, I relate to her. Um, and I think a lot of you would relate to her too. So I'm just going to jump in and read this part of the book because I'm just going to trust that this is going to resonate with you just like it resonated with me. My one thing is my sobriety. For me, sobriety is not just about stopping something. It's about beginning a particular way of life. This way of life requires living in integrity, ensuring that my inner self and outer self are integrated. Integrity means having only one self, dividing into two selves, the shown self and the hidden self. That is brokenness. So I do whatever it takes to stay whole. I do not adjust myself to please the world. I am myself wherever I am and I let the world adjust. I will never promise to be this way or that way. I will only promise to show up as I am wherever I am. That's it, and that's all. People will like me or not, but being liked is not my one thing. Integrity is. So I must live and tell my truth. Folks will come around or quit coming around. Either way, lovely. Anything or anyone I could lose by telling the truth was never mine anyway. I'm willing to lose anything that requires me to hide any part of myself. Mm, damn. That, it just hit me at my core, right? I listened to Rose Skeeters, who's the host of From Borderline to Beautiful. And if you're listening to my podcast, there's a good chance you may have already run across her podcast. And if you haven't already, go right now. Well, after you finish my episode, <laughs> go and listen to her because she talks about having a moral compass, right? And how a lot of us with borderline personality disorder lack a moral compass. And therefore we were never raised to have these morals that hold us up, right? These integrity, honor, loyalty, and it makes us feel kind of like these little ships lost at sea. And what I love about this quote from Glennon is that she clings to this idea of integrity and she decides that's what she's going to build her identity around. We with BPD, if you're anything like me, you have built your identity around people, around ideas, around what you think society expects of you, what your parents expect of you, build your identity around your own moral compass, around things like integrity. And I love how she compares integration, integrity, right? That is the key. It's the major key. It is the code that we've cracked. Integrity ensures that my inner self and my outer self are integrated. It means only having one self. I agree with her there, but there's a part that I think it's important to distinguish. She talks about having one self. I disagree slightly there, but I think she would agree with me if I explained it like this, right? 
I think what she means there is that we need to identify with oneself. Oneself is the ruler, right? And that's our highest self. We are going to have these other parts of ourselves down there in the depths, our BPD self, our abandoned child self, our judgmental self, our manic self, our excitable self. But the importance of having that one self that rules them all, right? It's the one that says, okay, I'm going to take a look at this part of myself that really wants to impulsively go shop or smoke or drink or text that person that I shouldn't text. And I'm going to listen to the part of myself that wants to dance like crazy in my kitchen. And I'm going to filter it all through this highest self whose main goal is to live in integrity and true to myself. And you may think, whoa, Molly, you are going off on a tangent, girl. It has been 10 minutes and we have not even talked about splitting. And that's what we're here to talk about. But all of this has to do with splitting. Why? Because splitting causes us to just relate with only one part of ourself. And I'll tell you what, not a single part of us is acknowledging that higher self when we are in a splitting state. Our highest self goes offline when we are splitting people black and white or things black and white, okay? You can't argue with that. We're quite literally cured from BPD, I feel, if we are able at all times to identify with our highest self, then our BPD symptoms, they're there. We still own them. They're going to be there, right? Being cured from BPD is not about the absence of those big feelings. And if that's your goal with being cured from BPD, you're setting the bar to an unrealistic level. It's beautiful that we are sensitive. Our big feelings are superpowers. If we don't let them control us, we have to use them as our advisors, okay? They are not scary. They're not our enemies, but we allow ourselves to be terrified of our emotions and push them down. And that is what causes us to split and lose our cool. It's like, it's like a pressure cooker, right? But if we're identifying with our highest self, the pressure never gets so intense that we spill over. So without further ado, I'm actually going to get into the rest of the content I had prepared about splitting, but I wanted to just mm, give you a little talk, like a one-to-one that we could just vibe with each other about that stuff. Because in these conversations, that's where real healing happens, right? This, these, these talks. And I want us to develop like a friendship with one another. I don't have anyone to talk about this stuff with that, that knows what I'm going through, that knows how it feels. And so we're here together going through this stuff. So we talked last week about splitting, what it means, a little bit about how I experience it, how other people experience it. And we're going to dive right in today talking about the DSM and more high-level concept about integration and how that all influences splitting and contributes to it to deepen our understanding. The DSM criteria for borderline includes splitting. 
It's defined as a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by alternating between extremes of idealization and devaluation. That probably sounds really familiar to you. You've heard that before. That's splitting. That oscillating between idealization and devaluation very quickly. Things that something that neurotypical people can't quite wrap their minds around, but for those of us with BPD, that's an everyday reality. And as we discussed before, this can be in massive ways, like I'm done, I'm walking away from this relationship, or smaller ways, like someone ignoring your call, as we discussed before, and you thinking, oh my God, they hate me, they hate me, and spending hours thinking about how much your friend probably hates you, and the rest of your day is ruined by something that's so small and will be completely rectified when they text you three hours earlier. I have said it before and I'll say it again, I can't even imagine the hours, days, weeks that I have wasted of my life spinning the hell out and splitting over small things that turn out to be no big deal later on. So in addition to the DSM saying that a borderline criteria is alternating between those extremes of idealization and devaluation, they also include things like a markedly and persistently unstable self-image or sense of self and effective instability due to a marked reactivity of mood, which seem relevant here too. And splitting isn't always seen as a defense or coping mechanism. It's also seen as a developmental stage. And this is something I don't see talked about either. And this helped me in my realization. So imagine a two-year-old right now. His mommy forgot to feed him when he was hungry. Instantly, mommy is bad. In his mind, mommy cannot possess just one or a few bad characteristics. Mommy can't be a a two-year-old's brain does not say, oh, mommy forgot to feed me, but I'm sure she must be busy. I'm sure that she has a lot going on, but as soon as I let her know, she will (laughs) feed me and I have a deep understanding for her very busy life. No, no, no. (laughs) His brain is not yet developed enough to fully understand this. He can only see mommy as all bad in that moment in time. But however, just as quickly As soon as mommy is back and feeds him, she's instantly perceived as good mommy again. Every human on earth displayed splitting as a developmental stage at some point in their life. That's important to understand. Melanie Klein created something called object relations theory. And if you are a psychology nerd like me, you may have heard of this, but if you are not, I'll explain what it is. This theory states that children are all born with two main drives, a caring and loving drive and a destructive and hateful drive. And if this is sounding Freudian to you, just bear with me because it is important. I think it's important to absorb things like this. She says as humans, it's our lives struggle to integrate these two drives into a constructive relationship with one another. Is this all sounding familiar? Why do you think integration and different parts of ourselves come up so much? Because it's the 
I'm like, it is the fucking key, man. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to start cursing. I really thought like, should I, shouldn't I drop the F-bomb in my podcast? But guys, this is who I am, okay? I'm a nerdy, obsessive, researching, inappropriate, cursing person. And that's just who I am, all right? I'm showing up. This is who I am. And if you love it, you'll love it. So a key developmental step in childhood development is to overcome the splitting of these two sides. We have to overcome as children the splitting of our caring and loving side and our destructive and hateful side, which is the central theme of what's called the paranoid schizoid position. So according to Melanie Klein, splitting is the separation of the things the child loves, which are good, gratifying objects, and the things the child hates, bad, frustrating objects. So Klein refers to these things, get ready for it, as the good breast and the bad breast. I don't make this shit up, people, okay? It's super Freudian. Um, The child sees these two breasts as different objects, although they're actually united since they both belong to their mother, right? The child must learn that objects can be good and bad. Only then can a child move properly into the next phase of development. And if we don't move to that next phase of development, you're stuck. You are unable as a child and then as an adult to understand that things can be both good and bad at the same time. Otto Kernberg is a psychoanalyst and professor of psychiatry, and he's most widely known for his psychoanalytic theories on BPD organization and narcissistic pathology. He created a developmental model that also notes that the overcoming of splitting is a key developmental task. He also believed that this is something that we must learn as children, otherwise it creates future pathology for us. So Kernberg believed that a child must learn to integrate feelings of love and hate. He distinguished three different stages in the development of a child when it comes to moving through the developmental process as it pertains to splitting. So in stage one, the child doesn't experience the self and the object as either good or bad, or even different entities. This is when we're at such a young stage that we don't even see ourselves in our infancy. For example, there's no difference between us and mother. There's no, there's no, we don't have a self at this stage. Once we move past that stage, the second stage occurs when the child begins to form an understanding that good and bad are things and they're two different things. It's at this second stage that Kernberg says that the child has not established firm boundaries between themselves and others. They are fully dependent on their caregivers. They view others in this second stage as either all good or all bad, depending on that person's actions at the time. Something very important to understand about this stage is that while the child is perceiving mommy as all bad, for example, He also believes that he is all bad too. The child is all bad too, right? Because those boundaries between the self and others are completely diffuse or fuzzy, right? They're not strong. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound like something you still experience? 
when someone is all bad, when something is going badly and you perceive it to be bad, you don't just think, oh, my relationship is trash. I got to move on from it. No, you're thinking my relationship is trash. I am trash. I am unworthy. I will never be loved again. Red flags, throw it all out, right? So that's that second stage. And if that sounds familiar, like you still experience it, well, (laughs) makes sense if you're listening to this podcast and you have BPD because it sure as hell sounds familiar to me. So the idea is that once a child completes stage three, of this process, splitting is resolved. Once we've completed this third stage or the child has completed this third stage, they are able to see themselves and others as being capable of possessing both good and both bad qualities. A child in this third stage realizes that having horrible thoughts about the other doesn't mean that he himself is all horrible and doesn't mean that the person is all horrible either. A child in this stage is able to realize that mommy made a mistake, but that no matter what, mommy still loves them, and that this action, this mistake on mommy's part does not mean that he is a bad child, a bad person. But for those of us who never make it to this third stage, we are constantly stuck in this loop that if we perceive something bad to happen, that thing, person, idea is all bad and that we are all bad too. Do you see why it's so important that we have an understanding of this? For me, when I learned about this, I'm like, okay, this is a universal thing. It's not me. I am just stuck in a stage. You are just stuck in a stage. Your BPD loved one is simply just stuck in this stage. And we have to reparent ourselves, retrain ourselves to move to the third stage where we can hold in our minds firmly that things can be good and bad at the same time. And that if something is all good or all bad, it doesn't change who we are or our innate and inherent value. It should come as no surprise that children who fail to move to stage three of this model of Kernberg's and accomplish this developmental milestone, they're at risk for developing borderline pathology and other personality disorder pathology. We don't often hear about these everyday examples of splitting that happen in quiet moments, mostly inside of our own minds. Our culture loves true crime and revenge stories, (laughs) and splitting is really common in stories of sociopaths and criminals. Oftentimes, though, the criminals feel that they were the true victims. And so it comes as no surprise that quite often these people had horrendous childhoods, right? Because quite often these people were victims before they were predators or criminals, And oftentimes a criminal's accusations against their victims are pure projection. For example, someone who's a thief may steal because they feel like things have been stolen from them. A liar lies because they feel like everyone lies to them. This is the way it works. You know, someone who is sexually abused may become an abuser themselves. Criminals 
can use splitting and projection to deny their own sadistic acts while feeling they are seeking revenge and that they are on the side of righteousness. The idea of revenge can give this person the moral purity and license to come up with the worst punishment possible. This is primitive stuff, violent stuff. It's often quite easy for one person splitting to convince large groups of people that an idea or a minority group is either all good or all bad. And there are countless examples of this across history. Think about the Salem witch trials, the Inquisition, the Holocaust, all of these horrific moments in history use these absurd splitting, all good, all bad accusations. Think about cases where a teenage girl is raped and then attacked by her peers for being a slut or that she was asking for it. This type of pack behavior splits people into all good or all bad. It's hard for everyone in our society, and it's getting worse and worse to hold in our minds that things are not always black and white. The danger of splitting can have massive and horrific consequences at both a grand scale and a small one. And by grand, I mean things like the Holocaust, the witch trials, it affects generations, generations of trauma. And by a small scale, it's just in our daily lives. And that's small in the scale of the universe, but it sure as hell doesn't feel small to us. It Splitting on a day-to-day basis can make our lives hell, right? We all know this. I think if those of us with BPD think back on how many hours, weeks we've wasted splitting, we can clearly see how much suffering seeing things as all good or all bad has brought us. And with this realization and awareness, it makes it easier for us to spot when we're slipping into black and white thinking. Knowledge is truly power when it comes to these concepts and BPD recovery. So I'm going to leave it there for today in terms of the content that we're going to go over with splitting. I'm going to do one more episode in this series and we're going to cover when does splitting become a problem? How long does it last? What can trigger a splitting episode? How does it affect relationships? Um, How can splitting affect therapy? And how to reduce it? And how our loved ones can help us? I'm going to leave you with another reading. You're going to get used to this from me. A quick story about me. When I first discovered that I had BPD, I realized that I wanted to start incorporating some rituals. And I lost touch with my spiritual side um, completely as I was wrapped up in in my borderline pathology. And when I was diagnosed, I made a pact to myself that I'm going to start some of my own mindfulness rituals. And for some reason, I've always been drawn to tarot cards because I find them so beautiful to look at. I find their meaning to be really beautiful. I love the idea that people have been using them for such a long time. It's just this beautiful, rich history. And I feel connected to myself and and the world when I draw a tarot card. And 
when I first got my first pack of tarot cards, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And so I drew a card and I remember Googling, what the hell does this card mean? And I came across this website called Elliot Oracle. And Elliot is a man, a lovely human being who writes out these incredible synopses for what each tarot card means. And he wrote a book called Fearless Tarot. And you can just tell by the way he writes about these tarot cards that Elliot understands the concept of integration, the the concept of prioritizing our highest self and tuning into our highest self. And for me, drawing a tarot card is something that helps connect me to my highest self. And his writings were so inspiring. When I would Google what a tarot card meant before, it'd be, I'd go to just some random website and it would say, this means prosperity, happiness, (laughs) sadness. Reversed, it means bad. And I was just like, I didn't connect to that. But I connected to Elliot's description so much. And if you're going, oh, Molly, this is getting a little too woo-woo for me and you're about to turn off because I'm talking about tarot, just stay with me because his writings are what inspired me. So today I'm going to leave you with what Elliot writes about the tarot card, the lovers, because it has such a powerful message about integration and the highest self. So with that, here are Elliot's words about the lovers. He calls this card a recipe for inner harmony. And here's what he writes. The lovers represent love in all its forms. This includes relationships with lovers, friends, family, and especially yourself. The lovers bring inner balance and peace. They represent the different aspects of you, which must be brought into harmony in order to regain perspective. The lover's card also represents choices. It reminds us that we can heal any situation and free ourselves from suffering whenever we choose to view it through the eyes of authentic love. Do you have difficulty with truly loving yourself? Are you able to open your heart and be completely honest about who you are and what you feel? Are you able to look at where you are in life right now with acceptance and inner peace? The lovers are brought together in a state of harmony under the loving gaze of an angel. They're naked and feel no shame for it. They don't need to cover up or put on a front to impress one another. The male gazes at the female. She in turn gazes up through the fog at the angel. The figures on the lover's card symbolize the different aspects of you that must be brought into harmony for inner peace and self-love. This male part represents your worldly, rational self. This is the part that works in the, quote, real world. The male part of the self wants to mentally figure everything out with a rational explanation. He fears the unknown and is yet strangely attracted to the mysteries embodied by the female on the card. Status, strength, and reason matter to him above all else, and yet by himself he is incomplete. He needs to make contact with something much deeper than what he finds in the real world. He sees this in the female. He gazes at her beauty and is mesmerized by her. She is the part he is missing. She's very precious to him and reminds him of what really matters in life. The male looks to the female for clues on what kind of person he should present himself to be out in the world. If the female's wounded, it alters his perception of his value. 
The female represents the psyche, your emotional depth, your capacity to feel. This part of yourself is sensitive and kind. She loves beauty and comfort. She feels compassion and wants all things to go smoothly. And yet, on her own, she would be incomplete. She has the tendency to avoid conflict at all costs. This leads to a lack of boundaries, which then opens her up to harm. Without conflict, there is no growth. She needs the male part of her, this male part on the card, to bring balance, healing, protection, and growth. She also feels too much sometimes. This makes her forget that there's a wider world outside of her feelings. In order to heal the wounds of her sensitive heart and find peace, she must look to the angel. The angel on the card represents your higher self, your super consciousness. He looks down on the different parts of the self with compassion, acceptance, and perspective. He bathes the male and female aspects of ourselves with loving light. There's no judgment in the angel's face, only unconditional love and acceptance. The angel does not judge them for how they look, what they do, how much they have, or what may have happened in the past. The lovers are below a misty cloud. It is not always easy for the different aspects of the self to see things from a spiritual perspective. The gazing figures on the lover's card show a formula for inner peace. The external, worldly self, the male part, must know his real feelings, the female part, to find peace and harmony. He must make peace with his feelings by being honest about them. The nakedness of the figures mean bearing it all, releasing feelings of inhibition that keep you covering things up to maintain an image. But stopping at the realm of feelings isn't looking deep enough. In order to heal the wounds that all people eventually acquire, one must go even deeper within for harmony. This is the realm of the spirit, which is represented by the angel. Only the higher self, the angel, is able to see things from a vantage point of complete perspective. No mist covers the angel's eyes. Only the inner spirit can truly validate the self. When you look on the naked truth of who you are with the eyes of the angel, there is nothing but love. We fall out of harmony by attaching ourselves to only one aspect of our lives and losing the perspective of the angel. Ruminating with emotions too much, we lose sight of the world's unlimited opportunities. Concern for status or how we appear to others can bring an equal measure of suffering. The only way to free yourself from suffering is to love yourself enough to go within and seek your light. Seek the higher self. Look on yourself with wise, radiant, and luminous eyes. The angel resides deeper within, beyond the pain beyond the emptiness. The level of where the angel resides is where self-love comes from. That is how to get it. Today, it's time to love yourself. You may have to dig deep within to find it, but it's there, patiently waiting. Look at who you are with the eyes of your inner angel. Then look at the other people in the world with those same eyes. This perspective will reveal a lot to you. Instead of feeling wounded by the actions of incomplete people caught in their own suffering, you can see how they have unfortunately forgot to be their better angel that day, just like you occasionally do. Look on yourself and others with the love of your inner spirit.
your higher self. This will free you from all suffering and restores harmony every time. So that's it for today, my friends. Again, I love each and every one of you that is listening. Go out today and be aware of the different parts of yourself, of your higher self, of your integrity, and hold that close to your heart. All right, you messy, amazing, emotional, fabulous human beings doing this life thing. That is it for today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening because out of all the millions, billions of podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine. And that means a lot to me. And if you listen this far, I know you never want to miss a new episode. So to make sure that doesn't happen, click follow in your podcast player of choice and you will be alerted every time I drop a new one. To help me grow and help the podcast reach as many people as possible, go ahead and leave an honest rating and review. Not only that, I love to hear your feedback, so please share it with me. I read every single review, and you just might hear it read out loud on the podcast. To connect with me directly, follow me on social media and keep up with all the new updates. You can find that all at backfromtheborderline.com. And as always, any articles, resources, or other helpful information you've heard today can be found in the description of this podcast episode. So don't forget to check out the show notes. And until we meet again, remember, life is a circle, a cycle, a process, separation, initiation, return. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.